Good morning. Y'all doing good? Fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome out Luther. Y'all welcome Luther? They love you better than me. Uh, anyway, hey. Uh, anyway, so we're uh, him and I. We're actually going to uh, co-teach this thing today, so we're gonna have a good time. I want to let you know we're in week three of our series entitled Movement, and really what we're doing this series, we're pretty much looking at the Book of Acts. But what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to look at kind of why we do some of the things that we do, what a church is supposed to be about. Uh, in fact, last week our big idea was this that we will do anything short of sin in order to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, I like that big idea so much because it's just kind of dangerous. It's not safe. And uh, I I like that because so many times I grew up and there was a lot of safety rules in your house. Anybody have a lot of rules? Like safety rules? I remember this, that if you don't jump on the bed because you might hit your... Head, absolutely. Or how many of y'all remember this one that um, you're supposed to wait 30 minutes after you eat in order to go? Has anybody ever met anyone that's died because they violated that rule? I haven't. I, I think that's a dumb rule, all right? So anyway, so I almost saw your hand right there. I'm like, really? You know someone? Oh my gosh. Anywho, uh, uh, what about this one? Don't run with scissors because you might poke your Eye out, right? Thank you so much, Christmas story, all right? And then there's this one. Don't play with your belly button because it may become untied and you may drift away like a balloon. Anyone? No one? One. Am I the only one? Mom, where's my mother? Anyway. Well, you know, we have safety rules like that when it comes to church. And one of the safety rules is this. You know what? Don't offend anyone. Uh, Make sure to keep it safe, but you you can't ever offend anyone. Keep it safe. What about this one? Don't talk about anything controversial, right? Don't talk about anything and just kind of just keep it and just just let it just be, you know, kind of flatlined, if you will. Another one is, and some of you, you know this one, don't change anything. And again, you may have grown up in a church. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a church that's 150 years old or like ours, five years old. A lot of times people in church, you just kind of get used to the way they do things. And, and we like, don't change anything. And there's, there's something about that. The problem uh, that I, when I think about this today, about church and, and safe, you know, one of the things that we say at one church is we want to create a safe environment where people could be able to come and hear the message that God loves them. The, the thing yeah. that I struggle with that, Sorry. Go ahead. If, we, if we talk about that a little differently, Turned away from me. Uh, you know, and, and I think another way we could say that that kind of drives this point home is we want to create a safe environment for you to hear a completely dangerous message about Jesus. Yeah. Um, because when you meet Jesus, everything in your life is not safe anymore. It becomes dangerous. You no longer have control of it. Um, and so it's almost an oxymoron, but that's what we yeah. want to create in here. We want to create Absolutely. a place where you can come and feel safe. And then we can tell you a very dangerous message about Jesus. But, but the thing that we struggle with when we say that safe thing is, is some people can coast through church and they can kind of blend in and nothing really ever happens to them. And, and, and they grow up in these safe environments around safe people and safe Christians and safe children. And it's just kind of flatlined. And it's not fun. And it's not exciting. 
because nothing dangerous has ever happened. And Lou has hit the nail on the head that the fact um, that even though we want to create a safe environment where people can text in questions and talk and we can talk about the Bible and God and Jesus, that you know what, once you do finally comprehend that God loves you and wants to begin this relationship with you, he will turn your world upside down. And that can be dangerous. Our mission here at One Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you mind saying that with me? To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I'm going to do. We did this first service. I want you to have about 30 seconds. Talk with the person next to you. No right or wrong answers. Which one of those do you think is the most important word for you in that mission statement? Go ahead. All righty. So let's take a poll here. Who thinks the where'd it go? It went away. Who thinks the most important word in that sentence is people? Hands, show of hands. Nobody. Y'all don't like people at all. <laughs> What about lead? Got a couple leads here. Uh, relationship. Wow. My kind of people. Uh, growing. Really my kind of people. Uh, how about Jesus? Or my Sunday school folks? Always your safe answer. Reality of it is, is there's not really like a word there. It's, it's everything we do goes through this lens. That's right. Like, like if we do it at one church, we've bathed it through this. Um, and, and, and I don't know if we always get it right, but the people you know, they need this. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, as we're moving through this series about how we do church and why we do church and some of the things. You know, sometimes we struggle with folks that, that leave one church because they've, they've started a relationship with Jesus and they at some point think, I'm not growing enough and... And so that's some of why we're doing this series and helping you understand that, you know, part of being on mission with us here at One Church, like if you're here and you love Jesus and you're saved, you're in the mission field. Like if you're in the mission field to reach people for Jesus and bring them here because that's what we do. Uh, we're not just here to, to, to keep, save people happy and keep you fed and, you know, keep you, you know, warm and fuzzy and comfortable. Uh, we want you out on a mission, you know, the people you work with and the, your family and people you hang out with on the weekends at soccer fields and baseball fields. We want you to bring them here. We want you to bring them face to face with Jesus. So uh, if you answered, all of you were right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the thing. And Luther touched on it. All of us, we really want to make a difference. I mean, the thing I love about this generation, especially the younger generation coming up, is all of them, they long to make a difference. And maybe because they've been around their parents and they've seen their parents give 20, 30, 40, 50 years to a job or to a relationship, only to see the job let them go or a relationship fall apart or this or that. And they want to see, okay, I am not guaranteed one more day. I want to make a difference today. In fact, if I asked the question, all of us would raise our hands. We would say, yes, I want to make a difference. And we do. Um, but in order to do that, we, we can't play it safe. And we have to be laser focused on what we're doing. 
And that's exactly why we filter everything through that mission statement here at One Church and why even though we want to create a safe environment, we want to see a dangerous God come and do this to somebody's life and absolutely just shake them up. And we're going to be looking at a passage today that totally really does illustrate this because all of us, we want to make a difference. But for many of us, we have traded living for just existing. And that isn't safe. In fact, that's just kind of dumb. Because once you know it, your life is lived and opportunities are gone. And it really reminds me of this video. Y'all watch this. Here's the reality is that all of us are going to be pushing up daisies one day. All of us are going to be the center of attention in a funeral home or in a church. And though all of us, we want to make a difference, all of us have a shelf life. And life is too short to live your life up on the shelf. That if we, you and I really want to make a difference, then what you and I are going to have to do is get involved, even though we don't have what it takes, even though we don't have the answers, even though we don't have the right pedigree, whatever that is, right? We don't have the right education. We have mess in our past. We have stuff that we regret, We have to get beyond all of that. Because if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to do something extraordinary, 
even though you and I are ordinary, we're going to have to hook up with Jesus. And he could do it through us. Because all of us, all of us, all of us, we want to see God do amazing things in our life. We want that. But many times the very thing that keeps us ordinary, that keeps us normal, that keeps us just existing, are those things that we tell ourselves. It's how we view ourselves. It's how other people view ourselves and how we let their views of us define us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me give you some, um, some uh, context, if you would. Jesus uh, has lived for the past 33 years on this earth. And for the past three and a half years, he picked 12 disciples, his, his friends that he did life with. And he did ministry with them. He hung out with them seven days a week, 24 hours a day for three and a half years. And uh, Jesus healed people, Jesus taught people, he prayed with people, and these 12 guys were surrounded him. They, they hung out at night together, they were around campfires together, they, um, they ate together, they had fun together, they did everything together. Until one day when Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem, Jesus was arrested and the Romans and the Jews conspired together. They crucified him. They killed him. And all 12 of his friends, his disciples, ran away. And they thought that was the end. But it was just the beginning. Because Jesus, on the third day, he rose again. And for the next 40 days, Jesus did life with those 12 disciples. He hung out with them. He ate with them. He taught with them. Um, he prayed with them. They had fun together. Um, Jesus was preparing these 12 guys that, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to go up into heaven. And you've got this. In fact, Jesus told them, you're going to do greater things than I ever have. And when we get to Acts chapter 3, that's where we see these two guys. His 12 disciples, the three out of his 12 disciples were Peter, James, and John. And we're going to, Luther's going to start reading in Acts chapter 3 verse 1 about Peter and John, these close-knit people who were very close with Jesus, who up to this point really haven't done any miracles, really haven't done anything amazing. They're just ordinary people. And we're going to see what God does through ordinary people. Yeah, so uh, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. You know, and, and what we see here is basically Peter and John are on their way to church. You know, they're going to go to temple, they're going to worship Jesus. Um, and, and there's this man and we don't know his name and they didn't know his name. And, and, and he's been carried there and put next to the gate where people come in and out so he can beg every day. And, and, and this man is at the beautiful gate, but he's anything but beautiful. Um, and like for me, it's like, you know, I was just, uh, I was in Ethiopia a couple of weeks ago on a, on a trip over there. And, you know, in America, we have this safety net, we have social security and welfare and all these things that sometimes we complain about, but. But, like, you don't have to, like, pull up to a stoplight this afternoon, and there's probably not going to be a man with no legs walking on his feet up between the cars, tapping on the window, and, 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 and begging. 
And in Ethiopia, that's not an uncommon occurrence. And, and, and they're not even like on the sidewalk. They're like, like out on like what we would call striped, but they don't even have lanes. They just drive. It's nuts. But, but like this is a man that like I saw two weeks ago. Like this man crawling and walking on his hands and, and begging. And so sometimes when we're in the midst of what we think is even a good thing, religion, that we've got to stop and look and see the people around us. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to that a little bit in my application later about stopping with some of the work and seeing what God puts in front of us. Um, you want to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says this. When, um, when the lame man, lame man, this beggar, we don't know his name, when they saw Peter and John about to enter into the church service, the temple, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said... Look at us. I love it that Peter asked this man to look at them because I'm sure countless passerbyers threw money at him without ever really giving this lame man attention. Yet Peter and John's eyes locked with his eyes, really seeing him. And, you know, I think sometimes it's really hard to really see the people who have great needs around us. When you pull up at exit four and you see that guy holding that cardboard sign, you know, um, and we get there and we're like, oh, there he is. So we're going to look elsewhere and we're going to fiddle with our radio and fiddle with our phones and tap our, uh, you know, tap our watches and all this stuff. I don't have a watch, so Luther let me borrow his. You know, all of this stuff. We, we, we don't want to look at the needs around us. Because if we look, then we have to acknowledge them as a person. And it's better if we don't, because if we acknowledge them as a person, then we're going to have to do something. Yet Peter and John, they said, look at us. L- let's make a connection here. And, and, and look at this, verse 5. It says, the lame man looked at them. What does it say? Eagerly expecting what? Some money. I mean, this guy's expecting money. Let me ask you a quick question. What is money this guy's greatest need? No. His greatest need is that he can't walk, right? He is lame. I mean, and for some of you, you're out there and you're like, man, my greatest need is I should have been in Florida to buy that winning lottery ticket, right? Anybody heard? If y'all were playing, it's done you didn't make it. If you did, all I ask for you is to tithe. That's all I ask. All right, everybody together. Oh, oh just saying, all right? I mean, we think our greatest need is to get the promotion, to get the job, for her to say yes, for him to say yes, or maybe for him to say no. All right? We think our, that's our greatest need, but just like this lame beggar, that is not our greatest need. And Peter sees through that this guy's greatest need wasn't money. It was the ability to walk. And notice, again, we don't even get this guy's name. He just says he's a lame man. He's identified as a lame man. And people, doesn't, they don't see this guy as a person anymore. He doesn't even see himself as a person. He sees himself as someone who's defined by his handicap. Someone who's defined by his, by his awfulness, by his greatest need, by his worst mistake, by his weakness. And many of us in here today, you walked in here and you didn't see yourself the way other people see you. You saw yourself as a failure because of something that happened five years ago. You saw yourself, and, and when you look in the mirror, you look at somebody who has blown up their marriage 
and, you, and you're worrying that, that, that red letter A over somebody who's blown up a, a, a job and you got fired or somebody who you see yourself and you begin to define yourself by your poor mistakes and, and past choices and anytime you define yourself by anything less than how God sees you, you misdefine yourself. And look at what it says in verse 6. But Peter, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. This guy, he was in the ministry, right? He, he didn't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. And, and, and I'm sure that the lame man is like, okay, I'll take it, right? I'll take it. Look at this. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. You know, it would have been easy for Peter and John just to say to themselves, you know, since I don't have any money, I'm just not going to acknowledge this guy. I'm not going to look at him. I'm just going to pass him right by. I mean, we're going to be late to church, right? Seriously. I mean, we're going to be late. But they acknowledged him. And if you're taking notes, the first point I really want you to really land home today is this, that God wants to meet the needs of others through us. God wants to meet the needs of others through us. Yeah, and I think what's really cool here is we look at Peter and John. You know, they've, they've spent this time with Jesus. God's done some amazing things with them after the Holy Spirit came on them. And in themselves, they could have some arrogance. But, but in this moment, they have none. And they understand that the one thing they have to give this guy is the one thing he really needs. And, and, it, and it's the one thing that for you and I, that as we come in contact with those people that are, that are being defined by those things other than how God defines them, the, the friends of ours, the family members who are, who are struggling with, with self-image issues and are struggling with shame and with guilt. You know, we have the solution for whatever their problem is. And, and it's not in any ability we have. It's not even in any experience we have. It's in Jesus Christ. And, and, and what I love here is that Peter and John, for as much as, as God has done some amazing things through them, they completely point everything away from them. And, and, and it's Jesus, and it's Jesus, and it's Jesus. And, and, it's, and as people, as God puts people into your life, and, and, and you're willing to do what they did and listen to the Holy Spirit and, and act, um, you have the answer to people's problems. And, and I'll be honest, for me, a lot of times that conversation sounds like a friend coming to me late at night with a marriage that's falling apart. And, 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 I, and I'll tell him, man, I will sit here and listen to you all night long. Like, I'll be the best listener you have, you've ever known. But if you want answers, like, like I've been there and I, and I know some answers and the answer is Jesus. And, and if you don't want answers that involve Jesus, I'm just going to have to be that good listener. Because anything else I tell you is just opinion and it's probably worthless and it's not good for anything. But I know the answer. Uh, like I've been there, I've done that and I know it. And so that's what I love about what Peter and John do here. God wants to meet the needs of others through us, but he doesn't want to meet it because we're smart or because we're funny or because we have a great personality. He wants to meet the needs of others through us because we know the answer. Like we got yeah. the crib sheet. Like, like we can cheat on the test. We know the answer. That's right. And it's Jesus. God wants to meet the needs of others through you. And I love this next verse. And before we hit it, let me just say this. Up to this point, Peter has not done any miracles. He's been around Jesus for three and a half years, and Jesus has done miracles. Jesus has taught. Jesus, the only thing, the miracle that really Peter has been involved in is him walking on water, right? But he's not, he's not healed anyone. He's not broken bread, and it's multiple. I mean, that's all been Jesus. But look at what happens. He says, I want you to get up and walk. And look at verse 7. It says this. Then Peter 
took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. Now, Peter says, I want you to get up and walk. And then Peter could have said, okay, you need to get up and walk. I'm out of here, right? But Peter didn't choose to do that. He says, you need to get up and walk. And then what did Peter do? He helped him up. He helped him up. And look at it. As he is helping up, he says, as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. I like that word instantly, but it didn't instantly happen right when Peter said, get up and walk. They instantly became healed and became fixed when Peter chose to get down on his level and pick him up and help him up. And I love that because the miracle of this guy walking doesn't happen until Peter started helping this lame man up. So many of you, if I would ask the question, how many of y'all really want to see God show up in an amazing, powerful, miraculous ways in your life? How many would say yes? That's all of us, right? But here's the thing about this. I love this. Many times the very thing that we want to see God do, amazing, miraculous, only happens when we choose to get involved in somebody else's life and get dirty, get down in the ditches, and to help them up. That's when God's miracles happen. Because up to this point, Peter had not healed anyone. He hadn't. But he says, okay, what I got, um, I tell you about Jesus, and uh, I guess you're going to walk. All right. Um, and I mean, that, that's faith. I mean, Peter had never went to school to figure out how to fix people's lameness. Right. He wasn't a doctor. I, I didn't go to seminary. They never did say, here's your, your seminary class on faith healing. Right. Um, and, you know, people would pop me. Nobody ever did that. I, I just didn't happen. All right? So this, I, I didn't get the education for it. Peter didn't get the education for it. But what Peter did is Peter was willing to get down. That really hurt, by the way, that gum. Do I have a red mark? Anyone? Anyway, um, Peter was r- willing to get down and dirty with this guy. And as he was doing that, God's miracle happened. Miracles begin to happen when we help people get to their feet and start meeting the needs of others. And God will start to move in a powerful way. He will. Why? Because you and I are the church. We are the hands and feet of Christ. Look what happens when we choose to get involved to meet the needs of others. Peter points them towards God. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God... He went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard his praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. You know, what's cool here is this guy isn't praising Peter. He isn't praising John. Who does it say he's running around and leaping and screaming and praising? He's praising God because Peter and John pointed him to Jesus and said, here's your answer. Here's Jesus. It's not us. I don't have to do it. I can't do it. Um, and I just find that amazing that like, like right off the bat, the guy like completely picked up on that. Um, go ahead. You want absolutely, you know, Peter starts immediately connecting people to Jesus because after this healing, the crowd shows up and he's going to talk about Jesus and look what, look, look where it gets him. Acts chapter four, verse one, Acts chapter four, verse one says this, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail to morning. How do you like that? How many of y'all have ever done the right thing? You got involved and it didn't turn out well for you. 
I think many of us have been there. And we can say, okay, then I shouldn't have gotten involved. No, 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 no. Many times, even when things don't go our way, that may just be another opportunity for us to talk about Jesus. Because that's what we're going to see Peter and John happen. Peter and John's in jail. And look what happens. I love verse 4. This is so amazing. It didn't turn out well for him. But look what happens outside the jail cell. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So that the number of believers now totaled about how many? 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. These guys are locked up in jail and the movement continues. And I just want to stop and say this. Do you want to know if a ministry is healthy or not? Then here's the criteria. When the leader is out of the picture, does the ministry continue to move forward? Does it continue to, to grow? I mean, that is one of those things that Peter and John are out of the picture and ministry is still happening. Why? Because ministry doesn't revolve around a person. It revolves around Jesus Christ. You see, tomorrow I can be walking, I can be bebopping and scatting down the road and get hit by a semi. No. She's seen your driving. There's a chance. <laughs> but no, I, I'm agreeing with you ever said that. Yes. Yes, that can happen. And you know what I pray to happen is next Sunday. We have banner record attendance and lives are still being changed. You don't want to know why? Because it ain't about me. It ain't about Luther. It ain't about anyone up on this stage. The senior pastor at one church is Jesus Christ. This ain't my church. This ain't Luther's church. I mean, this is Jesus's church. So it's one of those things that I, I love that Peter and John's out of the picture and stuff is still happening great. That's just really, really cool. Verse five and six. All right. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and the teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. We need to park there on those first two guys. Just so you know, like, we're just a couple months after Jesus was crucified. These are the guys that crucified Jesus. Like, they're doing, you know, they're ready to kill someone else in the name of Jesus. And so... Peter and John probably aren't feeling terribly self-confident, you know. I mean, these aren't safe people to be hanging out with for them. These are the same guys that took Jesus and had him crucified. And so this could go terribly awry. Um, but what we're going to see, I'll, I'll go and hit that next one. Uh, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and in whose name have you done this? Yeah, absolutely. So Peter, he stands up boldly and he starts, he starts talking. And look at what he says. Peter starts Again, and he says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? I mean, he's like, really? Are we really going to go there? Um, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that he was healed by me. That's what he says. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified. I wonder if he put out a bony finger. I don't know. All right. I mean, he, he's getting confrontational, right? I mean, and again, Lou said it. These are the guys that just killed Jesus. And he's going, Jack, I'm going to come after you. I mean, I love that. All right. But who, who God raised from the dead, there is salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What Peter is saying is this, that the only way to get to heaven is Jesus Christ. That's it. It is Jesus and him alone. And I love this because Peter and John, these two ordinary fishermen, that, that, that's their, 
that was their jobs up to this point before they met Jesus. We're going to see that these guys weren't smart enough. They weren't talented enough to do anything with these religious insiders, the Sadducees, Pharisees, Caiaphas, Annas, all of these. I mean, these guys, uh, I mean, were doing some very dangerous work, Peter and John were. And these safe religious people were like up in arms. And that leads us to our second point is this, that God transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. God transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary. Peter just got finished talking about Jesus, and I love this next verse that gives us some insight about how really Peter and John were. You know, I think so many times in the church, we've done a disservice because we made him St. Peter, and we, and we made him a statue, and he has a halo, and he has this, you know, he, he looks, you know, very serious, and I mean, or, or it's St. John and he has a halo and he's a statue. We, I can't relate to a statue, right? You and I cannot relate to your statue. These guys, let me show you how these guys were. They weren't statues. This is what it says. This is the verse we're landing on today. When they saw the religious insiders, the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were, say it with me, unschooled, ordinary men unschooled, ordinary men, they were, what's that next word? Astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I mean, how do these ordinary men, unschooled men, do extraordinary things? Well, the answer is they had been with Jesus. You see, when an ordinary person like you or me spends some time with Jesus, we will not be the same. He transforms us. That's dangerous. Now, I like the word ordinary. I want to teach you a Greek word. I taught you a Greek word three or four weeks ago. Y'all remember scubula? Anyone? You're going to have to remember that one because I ain't going there again. All right. Put that verse back up there if you would mind. Um, The word ordinary is the Greek word idiotas. (laughs) That's exactly what it means. Ordinary is not a good translation. The word idiotas literally means idiot. Or ignoramus. How many of y'all know some idiot? No, no, put your hands down. All right. <laughs> I could have said, how many of y'all drove to church with one? But don't hey, Let me tell you, what that means is that these guys, these yahoos, they did not have it together. They were unschooled, ordinary idiots. I mean, I mean, that's huge. And how did these unschooled idiots do what they do? Because they had been with Jesus. And let me tell you, we're a very biblical church because I am an idiot and I'm surrounded by idiots and you're an idiot too, right? Amen. I'm just saying. Um, uh, I mean, he's, he's an idiot. I'm an idiot. God loves to do amazing things through weak, idiotic people because he gets the glory. That's huge. So if you don't have it all together, welcome. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, you are, you are in, we're all our people. We really are. But I love this, and this is our big idea today. When ordinary people are with Jesus, extraordinary things happen. Now, I'm going to just, God causes ordinary people. And at one church, we're ordinary, regular people who have been with Jesus. And when we spend time with Jesus, he transforms ordinary people into extraordinary circumstances. Let me tell you, the inverse is true. Some of y'all, you're amazing at what you do. You are the best doctor, the best army folk, the best accountant, the best whatever. But let me tell you, you can be extraordinary, but you take Jesus out of the picture, you are subpar. You are ordinary. What makes you extraordinary 
is Jesus, not your talent. And let me tell you, that should give you an awesome hope. Because if you're not talented, welcome. Really, if you don't have it all together, you're in your right place. You're in your right mind. And some of you, your biggest struggle is you're like, God could never use me because of all of the messed up, junk, and bad choices in my past. And let me tell you, you are wrong. God can use you. You just need to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to hit the last verse here. Um, it's Acts 4.14. But since they could, I'm sorry, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. And so Peter and John go free and life just kind of keeps happening and we see the church grow. And to where I'm, I'm where, what I'm really up here for today is as Chris ended writing this and I read it four or five times, it basically comes down to God can use the ordinary and the idiot. And then he basically said, Luther, handle that. And so... <laughs> And that's really true. Um, You know, what excuse are you using so that God cannot use you? Because here's what I know. I know a lot of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, but that was Peter and John. Like they hung out with Jesus. Like, Like these people sitting around me, they don't know my junk. They don't know what I've done. I mean, that sounds great for those churchy people or that sounds great for the pastors to be able to do that. But what I want you to hear is that God wants to use you right where you are. And he will use you in spite of you. Kind of my life story is God hitting straight with a crooked stick. And, and that's funny, but it's not funny. You know, you guys see me here and, and I'm going to share something with you. I've never shared like in a large setting. It's something that my wife and I share and kind of with couples doing counseling and some other stuff. But 15 years ago, or almost 15 years ago, I was um, the youth pastor at a church actually not far from here. The church actually that it's funny that Stephen um, and, and his wife are here today, Natasha, leading worship for us because his dad became the pastor at the church where kind of my life exploded um, not, ap- not long after that. I was the student pastor. I was chairman of the deacons. We had no pastor, so I was kind of running the church. Um, and if you're on Twitter and you've seen Cheryl's hateful, hateful joke about me, and I was leading the women's ministry. Like, I led every ministry in the church. I was way overdoing it. I had gotten really busy doing religion. You know, if that had been me walking down the road that day, I would have walked right past the beautiful gate because I wouldn't have been late to church. Like, I wasn't looking for the ministry opportunity. I was looking for the work. I was doing way too much of everything. And, and, and about 15 years ago, I, I lost my focus. I, I was doing work for Jesus, but I wasn't spending time with Jesus. And I allowed those little lies in my head to become my new reality and to become my new truth. And, and, and to cut out all the getting to it and stuff, I ended up committing adultery. And, and, and not only did I blow up my marriage and my family, I blew up my church. It was very public. I, I blew up a student ministry. Um, one that God had done amazing things in, in, in spite of me. I wasn't, I'm not seminary trained. I'm, I just love Jesus. And, and, and God had used that and he had done amazing things and I had completely lost focus on Jesus. And, and what I want you to hear is that I didn't fix any of that. I didn't like if, like if you want counseling today on how to destroy your marriage, how to destroy your relationships, and, and you want to know how to do all that. I am your guy. Like being very honest, I know how to be selfish and I know how to do the most evil thing I'm capable of. And I know how to hurt the people I love the most. Like I'm completely capable of telling you how to do that. And it was only because Jesus loved me so much 
that he gave my wife this level of forgiveness that I still don't understand. And I'm still not worthy of. And like after being separated for like a month, we both kind of came to this place where I don't, I don't know what level of like or love we had for each other. Um, but we both loved Jesus and, and God was really restoring me and bringing me back to him. And, and we just came to this moment where I remember standing at our front door. I'd come to the house and we were standing in the front door and we both just said like, like I want to be married, but I'm not willing to try it. Like we're not going to try to be married. And so, so like if we both agree to this, then we're married forever. And we may be miserable together for the next 70 years or one of us may kill the other one. But, but until death do us part, we were going to be married. And so when I talk to you about marriage counseling and I say, you don't get any promise that there's happiness. Like, 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 like I stood there. Like that was, that's not something I just say lightheartedly. Like, like your marriage is something that when, you know, I like to draw a picture and say you're both feet in. Because if you're one foot in, one foot out, you will always lean out. If you're both feet in, the only thing you have to hold on to is your spouse. Um, and so, so like God completely did this amazing thing and restored my marriage. Um, God even took me back to that church and made me serve there for five years in the background where no one could see me. And it was painful and horrible. And it's not that it was a bad church. It was just God needed to do some things in me. He needed to restore some humility in me. He needed me to see that it was all about him. He needed to make me look at the guy at the beautiful gate. Because in my self-righteousness before that moment, I didn't look at the least among us with love and with compassion. The reason I'm at one church and the reason I serve the way I serve and the reason I love you is because of what I walked through there. And so, so what Satan wants to tell me and what Satan is telling you is that you shouldn't serve and you shouldn't love and you shouldn't do anything in the name of Jesus because of whatever, whatever your thing is. Yours probably wasn't any more public than mine, may not even be worse than mine, or it may be, but I'm telling you, Jesus is bigger than that circumstance. Um, You know, I had to sit down with my 11-year-old yesterday and share this for the first time. And like, her name is Grace. It has not like an accent. You know, looking back, what I know now is that God looked at my marriage and just, it was just a mess. And he said, but I see Grace. And I see Emma. And I see Esther that are going to need to be rescued one day. And I could have sat there and said, this is hard. And I could have let the shame of my life dictate everything moving forward. And I really thought I would. I'm just going to be real honest. Like even like 10 years later, the first time I came to one church, I went and met with Chris and, and I told, you know, Chris knew my story, but I just shared it anyway. And, and his first words, he says, just to let you know, this is my past. He says, if you don't want anything to do with me, I understand. I understand. I mean, that, it, still, that was defining him. Well, I wasn't going to destroy another church. Yeah. I mean, I just, in fairness, you know, I know what it looks like to walk in a room, drop a grenade and say, hey, and watch it explode. And like, I love Jesus enough. I wasn't going to do that again. And I respected Chris enough that when I came here, I gave him that option. And then he called me an idiot and said, this is what we do church for is people like you. And I don't know what that means, but <laughs> people like us. People Let's like us. <laughs> But in talking to my daughter yesterday, one of the things we got to talk about 
was something that Chris said not long ago in a sermon. We were talking about hiding our sins. And that you give your sin power when you refuse to talk about it. When you refuse to find accountability. Like this is the first time I've shared this this way. But I've shared this this way. And there's people like Chris and, and Richard Christian and some other guys in my life that absolutely have the right to say, Hey dude, you shouldn't be doing that. Or hey, that, that, that relationship could go to a bad place. Like they have the absolute freedom to walk up and punch me in the stomach. In private. And this, you know, now I'm doing this here. But, but so I've, I've let that sin out where I should. But one of the things we figured out in talking to my daughter last night is the other thing. We give power to sin when we don't create accountability. We take away from the power of God when we don't share what he's done in our lives. And so what you think you're doing and what I thought I was doing is I don't want to shame God. I don't want to hurt God's ministry. So I'm just going to sit back and be quiet and I'll sit in a seat and I'll look this way and I'll never do anything because of my past. And what that does is that steals from the people around you to get to hear how big and amazing and wonderful God is and how much he wanted to rescue you. And so if you hear nothing else from me today is you are stealing the joy and you are stealing the story that the people around you need to hear if you refuse to tell people about the moment where God came in and rescued your marriage or where he came in and rescued you after your wife or your husband left you and you felt like your life was completely over and yet you sit here today and you have hope again. Like people need to hear that story and that's what Peter and John did there. They didn't tell them Look what Peter and John can do. They said, I don't have silver and gold, but I have Jesus. And, and, when, and when people come to me and they talk about their marriage being a wreck, once again, I point them to Jesus. I didn't save my marriage. I didn't restore the fact that God uses me in ministry again. God did that. Um, because I was willing to let him and I was willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. And that's a whole nother sermon and I'm going to shut up. But, you know, that's... The story of where you're sitting, and I know for many of you, as we talked about Peter and John, is that you said, yeah, but that's those guys. Yeah. And what I want you to hear is there's nothing, nothing you've done or you're doing or you're going to do. That if you'll let God take you and remold you and bring you back to a place of truth, that God can't use you again and won't use your story. Absolutely. You know, a cool thing about Luther's story is... Uh, Again, he shared it with a lot of us privately, but this is the first time he, he did it publicly. And I want to say thank you so much for your courage. Rhonda, thank you so much for your courage, uh, for just being able to allow God to use you both, uh, even in some of your, in, in all the stuff. Uh, Luther and Rhonda have led small groups in the past, and they were in a, a small group um, that, uh, you know, and it, were, yeah, he says it wasn't going well, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to share my story and, um, so him and Rhonda, they kind of shared their story about all of the stuff that he shared with you today. And then it opened up the door so that the next person next to them shared their story. And, you know, there was infidelity there. And then the next person shared and there was infidelity there. And everybody in that group had struggled with the very same thing. And all I'm saying is this, is there, there is, Luther said it, there's power when we keep this stuff in the dark. When we put it out in the light and then we show off Jesus. Jesus wants to use you. And, uh, the, you know, how I really wanted to end this, and I can't do this because I'm over, but I, there, is, there are specific people here that, because I am your pastor, I know your story, just like I know Luther's story. And I know people who are ordinary people 
they're not statues. They're never going to have a statue made after them. I'm not going to have a statue made after me. They're ordinary people that God uses amazingly in extraordinary things because they spend time with Jesus. And they're willing to get up and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you one example. Daniel. Daniel State. And I don't know if he's here. Where are you at, Daniel? Daniel. Stand up, punk. All right? See this dude right back here? He, 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 wave again. See up there? Daniel, he doesn't live here in Clarksville. He lives in Springfield. He works in Nashville. He's trying to find a place uh, to work here. He works at an accountant firm or something like that. Um, uh, Daniel, every Wednesday, he's heavily involved in, in student ministry that happens on Wednesday night. He drives from Springfield to Nashville all the way down to almost the border of the Alabama state line to pick up a youth. What's his name? Weekends. All right, cool. In fact, where's he at? Wave at me. What's up, babe? What's your name? Hey, Cage, how you doing? Y'all say hello to Cage. So, so Daniel will go down to almost to Bama and, and go down and pick Cage up and he'll come to one church on Sunday morning. And then, and by the way, we're in Kentucky, basically. And then afterwards, he's going to drive back down to almost to Alabama. And what does Daniel have to offer? Gas. He offers a friendship. And that's one person. God wants to use everyone in an amazing way here. But for that to happen... We have to stop defining ourselves by our biggest handicaps. And we have to spend time with Jesus. When that happens, he can take ordinary idiots. Raise your hand, Luther. How many of y'all are idiots? I'm actually an extraordinary idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And God can use you in an amazing way. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your love. I thank you so much, God, that we can read a passage like this today. And, Lord, um, we can just see Peter and John for who they are. They're not superheroes. They're not statues. And they're not saints. They're just people. Normal people. And when you get into their life, God, you do some supernatural things. I pray, God, for us as a church. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be involved in people's lives. Lord, that we would be able to do that in, on Sunday mornings, on Sunday nights, on Tuesday nights, wherever, that it's inside the church, outside the church. Lord, that we do it when we give and we, and we give people the opportunity to change people's lives through action and finances and what all of this stuff. Lord, I pray that you would use us in amazing, extraordinary ways. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.